Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Welcome to the first of our series in the book of Psalms. Psalms is a really great book. If you're familiar with the Bible or if you aren't, there's a lot of wisdom and truth and comfort and insight for us during this season that we're all in the middle of. I find that for me, really what Psalms does is it, it steadies my heart. It puts words in my mouth that I'm looking for of praise or questions. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, is a great question asker, and God loves a good question asker. Probably if you ask me, my favorite verse of the Bible comes out of the book of Joshua. It says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you find yourself prosperous and successful. That word meditate in that passage, it's kind of a soft word in English, and it comes from this root word, this Hebrew word, Hagah. And Hagah in Hebrew is an onomatopoeia. Anybody remember those from high school English classes? An onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it is. So in English, we have the onomatopoeias of pop and hiss and boom. Hagah, the word we translate as meditate, literally means the sound a lion makes when he consumes his prey. So nobody actually says Hagah the way I'm saying it. They would actually say it in a way that would sound like they were eating something. So that verse is better translated as, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but consume it like a lion would its prey. So you can be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you'll find yourself prosperous and successful. I'm going to take one of the most familiar Psalms that we that we have, Psalm 23, and we're going to consume it like a lion would its prey. We're going to put it, we're going to chew on it and think about it and pull it apart and look at it and turn it around and smell it and see what God has for us in that passage. It starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. He, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I, I kind of like right off the bat, the first thing that my shepherd does when he declares himself my shepherd is he tells me to, to lie down and to rest. We live in a pretty anxious culture. I mean, just take a look at the toilet paper situation, right? We have a pretty anxious culture. And God is telling us right off the bat, you know what? I'm your shepherd. Lay down here. Rest. Everything that you need, I'll provide for you. I can remember I was traveling to Israel one time, and I was we were just on a bus, like driving through the country. And we stopped our bus to observe a shepherd that was on the hillside with a bunch of sheep and goats that the shepherd was taking care of. And the first thing I noticed was the sheep, they were lined up in these straight lines. I didn't know anything about like sheep in the wild, but they walk in straight lines. And the goats were kind of all over the place. And I was like, that's interesting. And the shepherd was walking along between where the sheep were all lined up and was like talking to them and pointing something out. And after observing them for a minute, I said to our guide, a man named Ray Vanderlaan, I said, "Um, did we just not pick like the sharpest shepherd to look at? Because he's got a bunch of animals up on that hillside and it's like rocky and brown and I don't even see any grass. Like what, where are they grazing? What are they eating? He said, oh Beth, look underneath the rock. The dew from the morning gets stuck up underneath those rocks. There's little tufts of grass under those rocks. You can see them. And when I moved one of the rocks under, I could see underneath it, he was right. There was a little tuft of grass, really no bigger than my human fist, just like a little tuft of grass. 
And then I was always paying attention to like, okay, okay, that's what they're doing. They're reaching underneath the rocks and eating the grass. I was watching the shepherd from his vantage point, his height, he could see ahead where different tufts of grass were hiding. And that's what he was telling the shepherds, the sheep he was pointing out to them. And that, that, that word that we get that describes the straight line, the, the sheep are walking on, comes from the same word where we derive the phrase path of righteousness. Really, the sheep are on a path of righteousness, listening for the voice of the shepherd. And as I was watching them, I'm like, oh, look, they're biting one of those tufts of grass. And like a tuft of grass this big only takes you like two steps to eat, right? Like just like two, take two bites, you swallow it. Then you need like more food. So you're listening again for that shepherd. And he was pointing out again where that sheep was and so uh, where that grass was. And so we're like just walking, like watching the sheep. They're like taking a bite, step, step listening for their shepherd, taking a bite, step, step, listening for their shepherd. And as we were sitting there, I said, nobody better get out their Bibles and read to me Psalm 23 because when I think about a shepherd who's leading me to a place of green pastures, I'm thinking about a field full of like waist-high alfalfa. I'm not thinking about a little tiny tuft of grass hidden underneath some rocks in the middle of what looks like a wilderness, like a desert. And as I thought about and I was challenged to think about the image that I had in my mind that I thought the shepherd was going to give me, those green pastures, it was, a, it was an image of independence. Like, I want, a sh- I want a field where I can eat whatever I want, however much I want, as long as I want. I mean, I'll tell God, thank you before and after, but give me an abundance. The image that I was looking at was exactly like what David would have been looking at when he wrote this psalm. And he was creating a picture of dependence, that those sheep needed to be dependent on the voice of the shepherd staying in that path of righteousness so they could get the sustenance that they needed in that space. That's why there's an expression that sometimes rabbis use that worry is like eating tomorrow's problems on today's grass. There's just not enough for today and tomorrow. We've got to stay in the moment we're in. And when we learn how to settle on a path of righteousness and listen for the voice of the shepherd and be grateful and satisfied about this, the gift that he's giving us in that moment, that's when, that's when we begin to experience that kind of rest. But sometimes we find ourselves in the rocky wilderness and we think to ourselves, what kind of shepherd would take me here? But you can read all throughout your Bible that God actually often led his person, his people into the wilderness because that's where he got, he got to know them. That's where he got their attention. In fact, the word for wilderness literally means the place of the word. Think about the different biblical characters he took into the wilderness, right? He took Abraham there. He took Moses there. He took Isaiah there. He took Jesus there. Because inside of that wilderness, in that place of the word, people were able to focus on him. They were able to get to know him. And that, that, that idea of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures, is, it represents new growth. And if there's anything I think that we can all testify that has happened to us in the last month or so is we've had some new areas of growth. We've had muscles we've had to use and, and experiences that we couldn't have even have imagined at the start of the year. We're in this area of new growth. And can we believe or trust the Lord is leading us there? He's in that space with us and will sustain us. And we will lack nothing in the midst of it. It goes on to say, he leads me beside quiet waters. (laughs) I I don't know about you. I can thirst for all kinds of things, but only my shepherd knows what kind of waters are safe for me to drink. 
there's a verse in Jeremiah, it's chapter two, verse 13, and it says this, my people have committed two sins. He's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. God has always represented himself as the fresh water, the living water, the water that sustains, the water that we most need. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. And I, I, I can just tell you, I mean, have we ever felt as thirsty? Can you remember a time when as a country we felt as thirsty as we are feeling right now? And there's all kinds of places we can go to quench our thirst. One of those paths lead us to the living water where we find the gifts that he has for us. And one of those paths lead to other kinds of things that actually in the end leave us feeling even thirstier than when we started. In the desert, believe it or not, one of the chief causes of death is actually flooding. I know that doesn't even make sense in the desert, but there's limestone mountains in, um, where David would have written this. And what can happen is the, it doesn't rain very often, but when the rain does come, they, run, they don't absorb into that limestone. They create these things called wadis. And the water can rush really fast down those wadis and anything in its path will be drowned. And then after the waters stop and the rain or the sun would dry up most of it, there'll be a little patches of water still left in the wadi, but that water is not safe. That water is dangerous because if you get attracted to that water and there's a flash flood, you'll be taken away. And a good shepherd knows no matter how thirsty you are, dangerous water won't satisfy. In fact, it'll put you at risk. And we have a shepherd, this psalm teaches us, that leads us away from our dangerous waters and instead takes us to quiet waters, to waters that are peaceful or still, that satisfy us. It goes on in verse three to say, this shepherd, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Psalm 19.7 will go on to say, this, the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes our soul. So what refreshes our soul? God's word refreshes our soul. It gives us things like encouragement. It gives us things like conviction. In church history, there's this person that I, ha I, I never met, um, but I have long respected her ministry and what has happened as a result of her ministry. There was a Sunday school teacher in uh, California. Her name was Henrietta Mears. She was um, the Sunday school teacher at First Presbyterian Hollywood in 1928. She started her ministry. The mo probably the most famous thing that she created in Sunday school material was a book that was um, simply called What the Bible is All About. In her ministry, that was her chief goal, to make sure those that came through her class understood that this word, this thing that we're supposed to meditate on day and night, that's supposed to bring refreshment to our soul, this is where we get what we need for all the circumstances of our life. She wasn't really all that fancy, she, but she simply taught and lived the Bible. Here are some of the students that came through her class. One of them is a, uh, Bill and Vonette Bright. Bill, Bill went, and Vonette went on to found Campus Crusade for Christ, today known as Crew. Crew is all over the world. One of the things that they have done is create something called the Jesus Film. That has been seen by 8 billion people. It's simply a retelling of the gospel in a way that would be accessible to people across every corner of this globe. One of the people that went through her Sunday school class was Dawson Trotman. He was the founder of Navigators. Today, Navigators, that ministry has staff in 103 different countries. Jim Rayburn, he is the founder of Young Life. Young Life is the ministry that led my husband to the Lord. Another one of her students was Richard Halvertson. He was the U.S. Senate chaplain for 15 years and the, and the chairman of World Vision for over 20 years. 
Another one of her students was Ronald Reagan. He, of course, was our 40th president of the United States. Another one of her students was Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached in person to over 80 million people. Somehow, these students in her Sunday school class caught the most important thing as the most important thing, and that's this word of God, that this is what refreshes our soul. She understood this Henrietta Mears, this example in, in our church history, she understood this idea of planting a tamarisk tree. Now, Bear with me for a minute. This is a, a momentary lesson in biblical horticulture. But a tamarisk tree is a tree that grows that doesn't actually full bear all of its fruit for a generation or two or sometimes three. It's slow, it's slow growing. Um, one of the reasons why the tamarisk tree gets a little bit of attention in the Bible is because God made some promises to a biblical character named Abraham. You can read all about his story in the book of Genesis. He basically told Abraham two things. You're going to have as many descendants as stars in the sky, and you're going to have a land in which they're going to dwell. And that was crazy town because the man was really old and his wife was barren. But he believed that that was true. And on the edge, in, in Genesis chapter 21, you can read on the edge of that promised land he believed was going to be his, he planted some tamarisk tree as a symbol of his faith that he knew that land was going to be theirs and in it would live the generations that were to come, even though in that moment he didn't know it. That there's a, a saying that we should be planting tamarisk trees every day. We should be doing things on a regular basis that will not be for our own immediate benefit, but will be for the benefit of the generations that come behind us. That's the kind of example that Henrietta Muir's understood that by her doing what God has asked her to do and investing in those who are in her Sunday school class, that they would go on and touch people in every country of this world. I think about, um, they, they found this um, declaration, for, for lack of a better phrase, a, a declaration that she wrote on the inside of her Bible. And I've been reading it lately, just wanting to remember in the world that's competing for our attention, that's offering us all kinds of water from broken cisterns at every corner, what is the most important thing? Here's what she wrote inside of her Bible. I will win the personal allegiance of every one of my class to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in a world where we're trying to get likes for ourselves on all of our social media pages, she says, you know who the only person I want to get likes for? I want to get likes for the Lord Jesus Christ. I will walk and I will write and I will repay and I will remain close to them until they are established. I will associate with them in fellowship. I'll make myself available to them. And I will see that they are committed to some definite task. She understood that principle that our Bible teaches us. That we have been called for and to something. And that we can take hold of that which God has asked of us. She says, I'll put the cross back into my Christianity. And I'll pray as I've never prayed before for a new vision of God. I will spend and be spent in the battle and will not seek ease or rest. I will seek fellowship with a man of sorrows as he walks through this stricken world and I will not fail. That kind of firmness of conviction can only be sustained when we go like that, like it says in that Psalm and get refreshed by the word of God. It goes on to say in verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I, I just want you to imagine with me any scene you've ever seen of a shepherd with sheep in any setting, right? We can picture there's always like a staff, right? Like that great big tall stick that he uses to put the sheep, to keep the sheep on that path of righteousness, to pull them in together. 
we don't usually see images of shepherds with a giant rod in their hand, but we have a shepherd who not only wants to collect us and, and bring us together and keep us safe, but he also wants to be aware of that which is coming to threaten us. Our shepherd has a rod in his hand because he understands we have an enemy and that enemy is after us. And he, with his rod, can protect us from that which is coming. One time when I was um, over in Israel, we were uh, looking at those great big gladiator stadiums. Can you picture that from any movie you've ever seen? Gladiator fights with like the sand on the ground. During a terrible season of uh, Roman rule, they had different sports where they would bring um, humans out onto the gladiator pits and they would fight um, to death. And one of the games in particular was they would chain two humans together and they would release those two humans against a wild animal. And if the two humans could learn to work together, they almost always defeated the animal. But if at any point those humans began to fight against each other, the animal won every single time. And Paul would use some of that language later in some of his letters when he talks about us being chained together. I think about the stories that, that God has written for us in our life and the people that he has allowed us to be connected to, right? The, the people that he's allowed us to be alongside or back to back with. And he's saying to us, listen, I will protect you. I will keep you in. Recognize who you're in this story with. Fight. Like when I think about the wild animal, First Peter will talk about how our enemy is like a roaring lion wanting to devour us at any turn. Like we have this opportunity to recognize that we have a shepherd with a rod and a staff and it is his desire to take care of us and to protect us. It goes on to say in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If I was writing this, which I didn't, but if I was writing this, I'd say there'd be a table for just the two of us far away from the enemy, right? But that's not what God wrote. He wrote, we're going to have a table and I'll prepare it for you, but we're going to be in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> and do I think the enemy is satisfied with just watching me sit there and eat with my savior? Absolutely not. He's going to be constantly trying to pull up a chair to my table. He's going to be constantly trying to talk to me and invite me and talk me into allowing him to have space at my table. He's going to be saying things to us in the middle of this COVID crisis, like this is really bad and you are not going to make it. And you better listen to me because I'm the only thing that brings you comfort or relief or convenience or a way out. <laughs> this enemy, what he wants to do is cause you to trip up and stop following Jesus because he, he wants you to think that there's no point in continuing because it is his desire to hurt us because he wants to hurt God and we are God's kids. And if he can hurt us, he'll hurt our father. And that's his chief goal. <laughs> the enemy is saying like, you know, I'm, you're not, you're, I'm going to take you in the valley and in that valley, you're not going to make it. But we have a shepherd that says to us, I'm actually going to be with you in the valley. And you don't need to worry about anything. You lie down and rest. I've got a rod and I've got a staff. I'll, I'll take care of you. We can't really control what enemy prowls around our table. But while we sit there, we have been given authority. Like God has given us authority as his kids um, to, to invite people to and from that table. We've been given this gift of free will. So you have the ability to say, I, 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 in the name of Jesus, enemy, you don't have any place at my table. In the name of Jesus, I'm not going to listen to you any longer. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to consume this word of God like a lion would its prey because I believe this is what's going to sustain me. And I think that the measure of the, the peace of God that we have in our lives 
is the, is the countenance of our, like the look of our faces in the middle of the presence of the enemies. If we can be calm. Last week on Easter, we talked a little bit about that word shalom, that filling in of the cracks. If we can believe that God wants to fill in our cracks and wants to be with us in the middle of that table, then it doesn't matter what enemy wants to roar around us. It doesn't matter how much noise they make. It doesn't matter how many lies they whisper. It doesn't matter because we have a shepherd and he's here with us at that table. It goes on to say, your head, uh, you, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. There's this Bedouin custom. Bedouins are like nomadic shepherds. They existed a long time ago in ancient days and they still exist today. You can see Bedouin shepherds in different parts of the world today. They have this custom. If you get invited into a Bedouin shepherd's tent, they're going to offer to you something to drink, probably tea or coffee or water. And if you drink everything that they've all the liquid in your cup, their assumption is you want more and they're going to give you more. They're going to fill your cup again. And if you drink everything the second time, being a good guest, they're going to give you a third cup. In fact, if you want to signal to your host, you don't want anything more to drink, you've got to leave a little bit more in your cup. And that's this idea of the overflowing cup. God says, you know what? I'm going to make your cup overflow. You, you drain your cup, I'll fill it again. You drain your cup, I'll fill it again. You drain your cup, I'll fill it again. If you want me to stop filling your cup, leave some there for yourself. Start self-preserving and take care of yourself. But here's, here's the deal. If you pour yourself out on my behalf, I'm going to overflow your cup. It goes on to say in that last verse of Psalm 23, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word surely, man, that sounds like David is confident of God's love for him. And he's confident that love will actually follow him. Another way to say that is that love will actually pursue him. And you, you know what pursuit looks like, right? You know what it looks like to be pursued. I was thinking about when I first met my husband, we were high school students and it was about a month after Valentine's Day. And I remember saying to him on our first date, like, where were you a month ago when all the girls in my high school were getting like flowers and chocolate and I was walking around all by myself, like you showed up a month too late. The next day at school and first period, the door um, knocked on my first period class and there was like a messenger from the office and there was a dozen roses and the, the card said, sorry, I'm a month late. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Then I went to second period and second period, there was a knock at the door and there was another bouquet of flowers and another note about, you know, this is for making up for all the days I lost this month. And then third period and fourth period. And we had eight periods in my high school junior year. So I went home that day with eight bouquets of flowers and when I showed up at my house my dad's like this looks like a guy who's in pursuit like that's what pursuit looks like it's a chasing after you God says in this passage what's going to chase after you goodness and love all the days of your life I can't stop it it's going to overwhelm you goodness and love are going to come for you because you're my kid and surely it's going to happen all the days of your life when I think about um man the power of this passage. If in the week to come you find yourself in, in any moment overwhelmed by the circumstances you got going on, by the unknown of your future, by the questions you have in your heart, by the temptation of dangerous waters, by lies that are being whispered into your ear, what, what, what tool do you have? What choices do you have? You can get out this Psalm 23 and you can just pray through it. Use these words if you don't have the right words. Close your eyes and read through it and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. Show me what it is that you've given me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Thank you for teaching me what it looks like to rest. Thank you for the waters that you have that will quench my thirst. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along. Just pray through each of those verses and allow the word of God to sanctify, to, to, to wash over, to realign our thinking. I think that's, I think that's what that verse in Joshua 1.8 that I started with, I think that's what it means when we're supposed to meditate on it day and night, when we're supposed to consume it. Because what it ends up giving us is actually more than we can hold on to. It's like hope, comfort, instruction. It, 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 it meets us uniquely, whatever our storyline is, and walks us into what God has for us next with his presence and his peace. That's his fingerprint. When you begin to feel that, feel, feel that filling into the cracks, that's, that's the fingerprint of God. I'm looking forward to spending uh, the next couple of weeks in Psalms with you. I'd love to hear about the way in which you use Psalm 23 this week in your life. Let us know how that happens, and would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you that you're the shepherd. Thank you that we can trust you in all ways. Thank you that you are leading us and guiding us and sustaining us. And that no matter what valley we feel like we're in the middle of, or no matter what enemy we feel roaring around beside us, Thank you that our faces can demonstrate our understanding of the fact that you are there in the midst of it with us. We trust you, Lord. We trust you with what we can't see, with what we don't know, with what we don't like, what we can't control. We trust you with it. Would you continue to bring your truth, your presence, your love in and through our lives? And I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.